again, I've been blessed with the opportunity and the privilege to be able to stand before you and bring you a portion of God's Word. I so much appreciate your support of this gospel meeting. Those of you who are members here, those of you who are members of Surrounders, those of you who are members of Surrounders, those of you who are members of Surrounders, some of you who are members of Surrounders, some of you who are members of Surrounders, my sister Barnabas, she is so good at encouraging. I appreciate her so much. And Craig serves as one of our deacons. Craig's a fine job. And also leading our singing. And uh, I'm just very... You picked a good night to come. You know, somebody, not from the standpoint, not from the standpoint, not from the She just fixed so much food, and then she kind of like my mother. Oh, we just got one more bite here. Why don't you eat the <laughs> you know, And uh, I'm afraid I'm going to squish this pie I got, or cake I got in my pocket here. Uh, you know, that creamsicle cake she makes. You know, that's, and we're looking forward to, uh, to tomorrow, Lord willing, to being out at, the, out at Bennett Spring Park uh, with Mitchells. And join fellowship with them also. You've been very hospitable, kind to us, and we thank you. We got to see a little bit of the town today. Went out to the antique store that's as big as a football field, and you know how much fun that is. <laughs> My wife w- walked in there, and her eyes lit up. She says, this is much bigger than I thought. <laughs> and I said, Yeah. But it was a win for me. We got out for under $6. So <laughs> We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 11 tonight for quite a bit because tonight's assignment is talking about heroes from the Bible, specifically from Hebrews chapter 11. And I will refer to them as the heroes of faith since we're talking about faith being the victory. And as we... Go back to that word faith. We think again just exactly what does it mean to have faith. Why are these people that we're going to be looking at tonight, why are they referred to as those who are are special attentions being given to them by God because of their faith? Now you talk to people about the definition of faith out in the world, just stop and say, could you give me a definition of faith? And they'll say, well, it has to do with what you believe. 
And it's something that you believe very strongly. And you can't necessarily prove anything because it's just something that you have all to yourself. It's an inner feeling. It's just this feeling of confidence and satisfaction that you're right with God. And it imparts inner strength to me. But it's, it's just, it's more something that I, that I feel. Well, brethren, faith does grant all the things that I just talked about, the peace and the confidence, uh, the satisfaction. But if we limit it to just that, then we're falling short of the kind of faith that we must have to be able to go to heaven. As we look again at Hebrews chapter 11, begin verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now, out of all the... Verses in the Bible, all the topics in the Bible, as far as giving a specific definition of a particular word, this is the one that stands out the most in my mind. I don't know of anything else where God says in the same verse, here's a word that I'm talking to you about and here's what it means. You know, there are other places where he says, you know, like John 17 where Jesus prayed that... uh, he said, this is salvation, that they are know you, the Father. What does it mean to know the Father? And then you had to go over the first John chapter 2 to find out what it means to know the Father. But here we have the word and the definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so it's not just a feeling, but it is a proof for that feeling. It's a proof for the knowledge that we have. It's a proof that gives us the satisfaction. But it's not just proof so that we can believe and have the satisfaction, but it's also proof that what God has said, the promises that he's made, it proves that God does exist. It proves where everything came from. But it proves that God made some the promises that he made he's going to keep. And because of that, our faith will cause us to live a certain way, to act a certain way. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So we know we're not going to be able to go to heaven unless we have faith. If you continue there, it says, for he who comes to him... Must who who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that's what we're going to be concentrating on here tonight as we look through this chapter. Is because of the faith, we can't go to heaven without that faith. And if we have the kind of faith that God expects us to have so that we can go to heaven, it's going to be a faith that is active. You know, I keep repeating that from day one since Sunday morning. I've been talking about faith as something not just that we feel, but as something that we do. It goes hand in hand. We do what we do. We feel how we feel because of the promises, and because of those promises, we also act. That is faith. Those who diligently seek God. That tells me that uh, if I just say, you know, I believe in God. So I'm going to heaven. That doesn't meet the definition or, or what we've been described that's been described here in verse six, where it says, God is a rewarder of those who not just seek him, but diligently seek him. That means I'm active. I'm involved. 
So let's go back here and, and, and look here, beginning with verse... Well, let's start with verse 1 and start reading through the chapter. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. There's our first example of someone, a hero of faith. Who is it? It's Abel. What do we know about Abel? Well, he was killed by his brother Cain. Why? Because his brother was jealous, upset with the fact that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he did not accept Cain's sacrifice. But notice here it says that Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God because he offered it according to what? Faith. Now, sometimes I've heard people discuss Cain and Abel and say, well, why was it that Cain's was not acceptable but Abel's was? And they'll say, well, it has to do with the fact that um, Cain, Cain gave plants and he should have given an animal or no. Cain gave... Uh, Plants, but they were not the best from his crop. And, and so there's some speculation there. But Romans chapter 10 verse 17 tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So if Abel offered a sacrifice based upon faith, brethren, he wasn't just guessing at what he was doing when it came time to offer the sacrifice. The fact that he offered it by faith means that he was following the Word of God, the instructions of God. So what he offered is what God told them to offer. And Cain was not offering his sacrifice according to the instructions of God. That we can be sure of because Abel offered his by faith. But notice there that it was talked about the fact that he obtained witness that he was righteous. Now, Lord willing, tomorrow night we're going to spend... Most of the evening just talking about if we're faithful, will the Lord find faith? This is the title when he returns. Basically what that means is will he find righteousness? Will he find those who are righteous? Abel, why is he righteous? Is it because he had a feeling? Is it because he had an inner strength? Is it because he had this, this peace, the satisfaction of peace, and he just sat around and kept it to himself? And he says, mm, I just got so much faith in God. No, it's because of his faith. He was righteous, which meant he acted based upon what God had told him he needed to do. Again, we see that faith requires not just a knowledge or or a feeling, or just a satisfaction that we're right, but there's action that goes along with it. Let's continue here. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the second one we look at here, we find, is Enoch. Enoch walked 
with God. Does that mean that he literally, physically was walking beside one? No, that just means that he was living in a way that was pleasing to God. Now, what was he doing? By walking with God, what was he, why is he an example of faith? Because of what he was doing. Because of how he was living. Do you know, Jude tells us that Enoch was a preacher who warned people of the flood that was coming. We always think of Noah when it comes to warning people of the flood. But Enoch was doing it a thousand years before the flood even came. He was warning people that the flood was going to take place. Matter of fact, he named his son Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years. You know what... what, you know what The name Methuselah means, after his death, the end will come. You know what he was saying? He was telling them a thousand years before it happened that after my son dies is when what I've been telling you about the Lord punishing you, it's going to take place. And so the year that Methuselah died is the same year that the flood took place. But you see, his faith, he's an example of faith because of the fact that he acted. Brethren, this is, this is what we're going to see over and over. Faith has something to do, everything to do, with the fact that we are involved in actions. Let's continue here. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Notice that word again, righteousness, going right there along with faith and faithful. Come tomorrow night, you're going to see how this all comes together. That's what we've been building up to as we've gone through this series here. But why is Noah considered... To be a hero of faith. Because by faith, Noah told his family, God's going to destroy the the world. And all we got to do is sit and watch. No, that's not it, is it? By faith, and you would think, you think about it. God said, Noah, you found grace in my eyes, favor in my eyes. Because you are trying to live the way you ought to live in in, in your family. I'm going to save you. So here's what I want you to do. Spend 100 years building this boat. And some people say, you know, I, I just don't get it. Why does, Noah have to, why does Noah have to do anything? He's the one that's living the way he ought to live. Why doesn't God just go ahead and just zap all these people and be done with it? Because we see over and over and over when God saves someone, it's because of their showing of their faith in God by their actions. By faith, Noah spent over a hundred years building this boat. Now, some people would say, you know, here's what I don't understand. How could Noah and his three sons have built a boat that big? I mean, even though they got over a hundred years, four men, how could they do that? Well, there's nothing the Bible says that they didn't hire out construction workers. I mean, if you build a church building, is everybody that's hired to work on the church building necessarily going to be a member of the church? Are they going to be helping build and repair because the fact that they go, you know, I, I, I believe that these folks are right? No, it's because they're getting paid. And so when we think about the fact that Noah was responsible for the boat being built, it doesn't mean 
that he didn't have help, that he hired out. And you know that the whole time he was taking the opportunity to be talking to these guys about the impending doom, which none paid attention to. But, again, the example of faith is Noah acted. Let's continue. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive it as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him at the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, the next example of faith. In what way? God said, I want you to leave the country you're in and I want you to a country you've never seen before. Just go the direction I want you to. And what did Abraham do? He acted. It took action for him to show his faith. Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Sarah and Abraham both are shown here as being examples of faith. Because God said, you're going to be parents of a great nation. And the Bible tells us, and they understand this, and Romans 4 tells tells us the same thing, that their bodies were dead. Meaning they were past being able to have, have children. Their bodies had died as far as the reproductive system. It was no longer operating, but obviously God was going to make sure it operated sometime in the future. And it was 25 years later after God made the promise. You know, doesn't it make sense to you that if God's going to say, I'm going to make you a father, that we should expect it to happen here and just just right away? And that's why Sarah and and Abraham did start thinking, well, maybe we need to help God. We know he made this promise. We believe in this promise. Maybe maybe he meant for it to come through the handmaiden. You know the story. God says, no, I told you it was going to be you and Sarah. Now, I'm not sure that we appreciate the significance of the fact that Abraham and Sarah, at the age of 100, were going to become parents. Picture it this way. You're going down to the nursing home to visit your grandma and grandpa. And you get there. And grandpa, he says, guess what? Me and grandma, you know what we're going to do? What we're going to have? We just found out. We're going to have a baby. And you go. You jerk one of his shoes off and run up to the front desk and you start banging on it saying, what are you feeding these people? Because <laughs> you see, that just doesn't make any sense that somebody of that age is going to be having a baby. Brethren, that's why this is so... I'm trying to make it sink in so we realize the fact that it took faith for Abraham and Sarah to go through the motions of trying to have a baby because they believed that God said what he said was really going to happen. But as we continue, verse 13. 
These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people who he's talked about so far, they died in faith, knowing that God had made promises about them becoming a great country, a great nation. They never saw that happen, but they died believing that was going to happen. They, they didn't understand what we understand about what happens after we died, but they died knowing that there's a God that's going to make sure that whatever happened next was going to be best. They had that faith. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Now what is it that took place? God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, your son of promise, and I want you to go and kill him. Abraham, as we studied Sunday, rose up early the next morning and traveled to the mountain where God had told him to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham acted immediately. There was no delay. There was no asking God, but why? Because we read here from the writer of the book of Hebrews that Abraham acted because even though Isaac was the only son and he knew he was the son of promise, he said, if this is what God would have me to do, God has promised me that there would be a great nation through him, so I know that God can and will raise him from the dead. That's the kind of faith that he had. He acted trusting and believing in the promises of God. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of the staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. What is it that this is all talking about? This is still talking about the the promise of God making a great nation out of the family of of Abraham and giving them a, a, a land of their own. These men had never seen this. They just knew the promise was ahead of them. And they would bless their sons based upon the promises that God had made of what's going to happen in the future. Joseph, he dies Telling them, I know you're still going to go to where God told you. He was going to take us to give us that land. And so when you go, take my bones with you. You see, by faith, he was saying, I want you to act. Take my my body to that promised land. Verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents. Notice, what does faith have anything to do between Moses and the action of his parents? They acted. By faith, they were involved in an action. And I keep pointing that out because the fact that our denominational friends always say our works have nothing to do with our salvation. 
Our works have nothing to do with our faith. And each and every time when we look at why these people are called heroes of faith or pointed out because of their, of their faith, it's because they acted. Because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Now, what is it we find out about Moses? By faith, he said, I am not going to refer to myself. I am not going to be referred to as royalty. I refuse to be identified as part of the family of Pharaoh. By faith, he was willing to suffer the affliction of being an Israelite rather than the pleasures they could have by, by just saying, I'm an Egyptian. But notice it says, Verse 25, he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy, notice this next phrase, the passing pleasures of sin. Parents, let's make sure that we don't confuse our children by talking to them about how sin is not fun. That's just going to confuse them. If sin's not fun, why would anybody do it? If sin's not appealing, why would anybody not want to be involved in it? God points out here that there is pleasure in sin, but it's temporary. The wages of sin is death. But during that time of sinning, there will be some physical pleasure, but ultimately it's going to bring death. So let's make sure. But rather than enjoy those physical pleasures, Moses suffered affliction. By faith, he acted. Continue, verse 27. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. What did he do? He acted. He left Egypt. Verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, what is it that took place? This is the first Passover. What is it? This is when God said, take the blood from that lamb and sprinkle it over your doorpost. Now, the Israelites are God's chosen people. Why didn't he just go ahead and take care of the, the Egyptians and say, well, since you're my chosen people and I want you to leave, I'm just going to go ahead and kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians. No, God said, Egyptian or Israelite, doesn't matter who you are, if you follow these instructions, I'll not kill the firstborn in your family. And so by faith, those who acted upon those instructions pleased God. Again, they were saved by God through their actions. Continue, verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. I don't know that we realize the significance of that miracle. Here we've got the Red Sea in front of them and God causes a wind to blow all night and the next morning there's this great wall of water. <laughs> and then Moses says, okay, 
It's time to pass. Time to walk right next to that great wall of water. And I can imagine that they could look at that water and see the fish. And I don't know but what, because it was water and it was a miracle of God that the water was standing there, that they could have stuck their hand in there and grabbed the fish. And the wall would have still stayed there. Because we're talking about the power of God. And yet, Moses is saying, okay, you see that great big wall of water? Nothing to worry about. God wants us to go to the other side. Now, we believe that God is going to take care of us. We believe that God loves us. We believe that God wants us to go to the promised land. And we believe that God is going to protect us from the Egyptians. So we're going to stay right here and watch God take care of those Egyptians. No, by faith, they acted. They were saved from the Egyptians by their action, by their obedience to God. Through their faith. Verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Now if you look back in the book of Joshua where God had told Joshua, I have given you Jericho. I have given it to you. Well, hooray, the city is ours. Now I want you to go march around the city for seven days. Oh, wait a minute. You just finished telling me you gave me the city. You gave us the city. You told us the city belongs to us. Now you expect us to do something? When were they rewarded? After by faith. See, their faith, their action showed that they believed the promise that God said, the city is yours. And so they marched around that city once every day. And then on the seventh day, they marched around it seven times, never making a sound until that seventh time when they completed the seventh time and then the priest blew the horns and the people all screamed and the walls came tumbling down. Is it because they shouted so loud and blew those horns so loud that it just vibrated the walls and they fell down? (laughs) You know, these were really thick walls. Matter of fact, I've read that the walls were so thick that they could have driven a chariot or two around side by side on the top of these walls. They were so thick. And I imagine those people in that city, you know, they were the first day, they're looking out there like, ooh, there's the Israelites, we've heard about them, you know, it's kind of scary. But the second day, they're going around again, and and it's like, what's going on? They march around the city, and then they go away. And the third day, they're saying, hey, kids, bring your snacks, it's time for the parade. And so everybody comes, and they're watching the Israelites march around the city. And on the seventh day, they go around, and say, wait a minute, they didn't stop. And they go around, and they didn't stop, and then the seventh time... Now why'd God, why'd God do that? I can't tell you what God told him to do that. Other than once again to show that he saves based upon our faith being a faith that acts. Verse 30. Verse 31, by faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Now what do we know about Rahab? She was the harlot that was inside the city of Jericho and she hid the the two spies from Israel when, when they went in to spy out the city. And because, it says, because she did what? Because she just believed that there's a God in heaven, that she just knew that God would spare her. No. 
because Rahab, Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe. Obviously, she believes, but is that enough? She didn't perish with those who did not believe. What's well, because she believed when she had received the spies with peace? Not only did she believe in the God of Israel, but she acted upon that belief. And because she acted upon her belief in God, God spared her. God saved her. Again, salvation by action. Verse 32, And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopping the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaping the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. We, we see, he says, I just don't have enough time to tell you about all these folks. Gideon, what he'd do? He took 300 men against thousands. Why? Because God told him to. And why would he be willing to take 300 men up against thousands? Because he had faith. I have faith that my God can defeat that army. It's not enough just to say that. He had to act. What do we know about Barak? Well, he would, along with Deborah, defeated uh, Sisera, King Sisera and his army. Again, highly outnumbered. Samson, you know, Samson, why is he considered here? Because of the foolish ways that he acted? Obviously, it has nothing to do with the fact that he had, didn't have some poor judgment at times in his life. But because he acted on what God told him to do, And he acted at the final point in his life. You remember how he went up and he said to the boy who led him because he was blind, take me to the pillars that hold up the building so I can rest. And he prays to God, give me my strength one more time and let me die with them. And he believes that God in heaven can give him that strength. And it's not just that he believes that God can defeat the enemies. But he's willing to act upon it and even die in that action. Who was it that quenched the violence of the fire? Well, that would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that story? About how they were. King Nebuchadnezzar said, whenever the trumpets sound, that everybody's supposed to bow down and worship this golden idol, this image. And. Here you got these three Jewish boys who they're slaves and the the horns blow. Well, they're young men by this time. The horns blow and they don't kneel down. Now, think about it. They don't believe in this idol and they don't believe in worshiping this idol. But if they stand up while everybody else is sitting down, it's going to be kind of obvious that they're not following instructions. Now, wouldn't it be a convenient time for them to need to just tighten their sandals when the horn blows? You know, I'm not worshiping the idol. I'm just tightening my sandals here. I'm afraid that there are those in the past who would say, no, I don't agree with what's going on here, but I'm going to do everything I can not to stand out, call it, because what good am I to anybody if, I, if I'm in jail or if I get put to death or... 
And what was it they did by faith? They refused to worship the idol. They acted. You know, brethren, faith and works have always been debated through the years. Martin Luther, from the, the, the one that the Lutheran church is named after, he wrote his own version of the New Testament. And when he was looking at the book of James, deciding whether or not what to do with it, he, he actually kept the book of James out of his version of the New Testament because he said that James was, was contradicting Paul. In James 2 and verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That's what James said. And Martin Luther, he says, no, 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 that can't be right because faith is what saves us. And so he's contradicting Paul because Paul said in Romans 3, 28, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so not understanding what Paul was talking about, all he could see is Paul says we're justified by faith. It has nothing to do with the law. And James says that we're justified by works and not just by faith. Well, you can't have it both ways, so I'm going to leave out the one that I don't agree with. Well, here's, here's what he didn't understand. When Paul said... Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. He was saying we're justified by the faith. We're justified by the faith that Jesus Christ gave us, the gospel of Jesus Christ, apart from the deeds of the law of Moses. That's what Paul was talking about. He was dealing with Judaizer teachers. And so he was trying to point out the difference between what he was teaching and what the law of Moses taught and how the law of Moses no longer can have any effect on our salvation as far as following it. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Let's look at this for a few minutes here. James said, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body... What does it profit? Thus also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You know, this kind of sounds familiar to what Jesus said in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, when he says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone that has a faith that they'll proclaim they believe in God, that they believe in Jesus as God's Son. Not just, not everybody that is willing to say, obviously you can't go to heaven without making that proclamation and having that belief. But Jesus said that alone is not going to guarantee that you're going to have a home in heaven because he went on to say, but he that does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Now what did he just say about faith? Faith is useless unless you have action to back it up. He that does the will of my Father in heaven, James says, faith without works is dead. Now let me repeat the illustration we had Sunday morning and talking about the difference between dead faith and living faith. We've got the man that goes to the doctor. The doctor says, if you don't take this medicine, you're going to die. You do take this medicine, you're going to live. And he goes home and tells his family, doctor says, if I take this medicine, everything's going to be all right. He puts that medicine up on the cabinet, and every day he gets up, he looks at that bottle, and he says, 
I can live if I take that medicine. But he never takes the lid off and takes the medicine. He's got faith that that medicine can heal him. But what's going to happen to him? He's going to die. Why? Because that's a dead faith. Because a living faith is going to be a faith that acts based upon the instructions. A living faith, a faith that saves, is going to be a faith that acts based upon the instructions of God. Now, some people say, well, you demonstrate your religion your way and I'll, I'll, I'll do it my way. It's basically, they're saying, you go to heaven your way and I'm going to go to heaven my way. Well, James kind of deals with that in James chapter 2, verses 18 through 20. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. That's what he's saying. You say, you say you're going to go to heaven your way and I'll go to heaven my way. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Now, he starts out, it sounds like he's saying, okay, you tell me you have faith without works, but I'm going to prove to you that I have faith by my works. And then the next point he makes is, and let me show you how useless the fact that you just say you have faith is. Because he says, you believe that there's one God? Good, you do well. Because you say you can't go to heaven without believing in God. You can't go to heaven without believing in the one God. Good. But even the demons believe. And they tremble. Now how many of you are going to argue that the demons are going to go to heaven? That's what he's saying. Are you telling me that you believe there's going to be demons in heaven? And he knows that they're going to be going, well, no, there's no demons going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, they believe too. So tell me what's the difference between you and them? Because you see... The belief that they have is a belief that does not act. Their faith is not obedient to God. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. And then he goes on and talks about Abraham again. Verse 21 through 24. Was not Abraham our father justified? Now notice what he says justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him there's that word for righteousness you come tomorrow night we're going to start showing how that righteousness is so important because it goes hand in hand if you're faithful you're righteous it was called, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. When was Abraham justified? When God gave him the instructions and he said, yes, God, I, I believe you. And I understand that's what I need to do. And that's what I will do. Is that when he was justified? When he accepted the commandment? No, he wasn't justified until he obeyed the commandment. He followed through in the action. And then, and then James turns to Rahab, who we talked about, verse 25 in James 2. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also what? Justified by works. Now, what do we know about Rahab? She was saved. 
The whole point that James is trying to make here to his brethren is about being saved, about going to heaven. You want to go to heaven? Then you've got to believe in God. But if you want to go to heaven, you've got to have a faith that is active. It can't be passive. It can't be, it can't be just saying, I believe and I know I'm supposed to live a certain way and I accept this. If you want to be saved, we are justified, we are saved by our faith that is active. Justified by works, as James puts it. When she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Brethren, one is saved by faith when that faith leads him to obey God. Faith that refuses to obey is not a saving faith, as James points out. It is a dead faith. But I want to conclude here by looking here at chapter 12 of Hebrews chapter 11. Therefore, verse 1, Therefore we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Who is he talking about? Therefore, since we, we who are alive, you who I'm writing to, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are these great cloud of witnesses? It's all these people we just finished talking about in chapter 11. These heroes of faith. These people who have been justified by their acts of work, their works of faith, Since we're surrounded by them, let us lay aside every weight and a sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Some religions teach that once you become saved according to the way that they understand you should be saved, once you're saved, you're always saved. You don't have to worry about anything else. You have been saved. Well, the Hebrews writer here says, since we've been, since we have this example of those who've gone on before us and they're in heaven, Basically, he gives the picture of cheering for us to live the way that we should so that we could come there. Since we have that example of those who've gone on before us, to make sure that we're going to be there, first of all, let us run the race. It's not a matter of just qualifying for the race. You see, once you're saved, you're qualified to run the Christian race. You're put on the Christian track. But you can't get on the track until you become a Christian because it's a Christian race. According to the denominational world, once you become a Christian, you're now on the Christian track. But you don't have to run because once you're saved, you're always saved. You can just stand there and look around. Because once you're saved, you're always saved. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, let us run. Action. Involvement. Works. And he said, to make sure that we run successfully, let's make sure that we've set aside the weight and sin. Two things. We'd say, well, we know that God wants us to quit sin and I need to lay that aside. I need to get rid of that. But he said, lay aside the weight. Could you imagine somebody showing up for a a track meet and they're going to run a sprint race? And the world's fastest man comes in there 
with combat boots and a backpack and a gun in his hands. And he says, I'm going to run against everybody and I'm going to win. And you'd say, well, you may be the fastest man in the world, but unless you get rid of that weight, that's going to slow you down. You may have the capability of running fast, but you're not going to run fast with all that weight on you. Is it wrong for me to have my, my uniform to be full of all this weight? No, it's not wrong. It's just not smart. Why would you want to slow yourself down? That's not smart. Get rid of the weight so that you can run fast. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us we're running the Christian race. There are some things in your life that aren't wrong in and of themselves, but they're slowing you down. There are some things in our life that certainly aren't going to cause us to go to hell just because we're involved in them, but they're not going to help us move toward the goal as fast as God would like to see us go. As a matter of fact, it could slow us down and become a distraction to us. It could be like that sheep that we talked about Sunday morning that got distracted just with sheep business. We're just people involved with people business. Being involved in this group and this organization and this effort and these things of the world that in and of themselves are not wrong, but they're distracting us from what's most important, the spiritual. Let us lay aside the weight that's going to slow us down. And the sin, certainly we understand the sin that's going to beset us. And then let us run that race, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But again, the point being, just because we're on the track, just because we've been saved, doesn't mean that we're going to, be, that we're going to finish the race and get, receive the prize. We've got to act. We've got to run. We're going to talk a little bit more about that, Lord willing, tomorrow night. If you're here tonight and you're not a child of God, I want to give you the opportunity to become one. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son? Will you repent of your sin, come confessing your faith in Jesus as the Son of God? Will you be baptized for the remission of your sins? Rise up out of that water grave to walk in newness of life. A brand new creature, spotless, free from sin. But it could be that as a child of God, you've been qualified to run the race. But you realize that you've allowed something to slow you down or to distract you or to beset you. Sin has entered your life. Well, brethren, the great thing about the Christian race is if you fall down, you're not disqualified automatically. God allows you to get back up. And he's not really as concerned with how many times you fall down as he is with how many times you get back up. He just wants you to cross the finish line. And that's why we're running this race together. The Hebrews writer says, let us. Run the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, and who is the author and finisher of our faith. I recall the story of uh, a true story about out in California, Special Olympics going on. And in this one particular race, they were going to run around the track one time. 
and you know in special olympics people are involved in that because they're not uh, they're not going to be especially fluent in being able uh, fluid to be able to and coordinated to run against those who don't have those mental handicaps and physical handicaps and the gun went off and as they began to run they were pretty much just in a pack and you know and the arms and legs were flailing with no grace at all but one young man was was a little bit faster than the rest and he began to pull away and as they went around the back and were coming around the last curve he was probably a good 50 60 yards ahead of everybody and people in the stand stood and they began to cheer and to clap and and he got all excited about what was going on and he tripped over his own feet and when he fell he fell face first and he slid and he his hands slid and so he raked the hide off his hands and then on his elbows and his knees he was just all skin up and everybody's hollering get up get up you can still win get up and so he put his hand down to try, oh, that hurt. And so he rolled over on his elbow, to, and that hurt. And he tried to get on his knees, and it, it was just hurting. It, there was a, and everybody said, come on! You can just hear the people, suck it up! You know, you're going to win, just get up and go! And the pack's getting closer and closer until finally they're right there on him, and the people in the stands, you could just hear it. Oh. All he had to do was get up. But when the pack got there, Every one of them stopped, picked him up, and helped him across the finish line. Brethren, isn't it a shame that it takes those who are mentally challenged to teach us who are not, who ought to be spiritually mature, to know what it means to run the race together? If you've fallen short of God's glory, we want to help pick you up so that you can continue to be strength for us. Let us pray with you and for you. God will forgive you. If you have a need to respond to the Lord's invitation, come now while we stand and sing this song.